Because that's the only way. I just want to be useful for God. And I think that's what we all want to do is be useful. You know, uh, like I said, we can be a fool for the boss at work. I'd rather be a fool for the Lord if getting up and spreading his word. Like I was telling somebody earlier, one thing I know, I'm not eloquent. So if, it, if people get something out of it, it's the Lord working <laughs> through me. So, but growth is an important thing. And, uh, you know, growth isn't an option as a Christian. We have to grow. You just don't get baptized and that's it. You know, you got to grow. And uh, it's not elective in the Christian curriculum. It's something that, you know, you have to seek out upon yourself. And every disciple of Jesus Christ must grow. Because it is the essence of being a disciple. You know, to, to follow your master and to learn from his, uh, his footsteps. And uh, just like doing a trade or something. But, you know, we resist nature, resist change by our nature. Because sitting in a, in a rut is essentially something very comfortable. I remember my kids, they had a little song when they were in uh, elementary school. It says, I'm a little acorn lying on the cocoa ground. People come and step on me. That is why I'm cracked. You see, I'm a nut in a rut. And it's, it's very uh, comfortable to be in a rut, to stay the way you are. And like Kevin had said a couple of weeks ago, uh, somebody he was talking to, I love going to this one church because I don't have to change. I get to stay the same. And that totally is opposite of what scripture says. It said we are a new creation. And as a new creation, we're somebody different. You don't have to be the way you were. I know before I became a Christian, I had a terrible mouth and cursed about just about everything. And God did something. It was a miracle because I knew it became repulsive to me to hear profanity. And I knew right then that he was working a work and that our God is powerful. And I've seen so many people over the year. But you got to grow. Change is often painful because growth is painful. You know, the first thing we do is learn God's word. And that's the first big step that you make, especially for me when I started with nothing. We need to make more changes for me. It was setting me free, really, because all my life I tried to be what other people wanted me to be. And, and when you only have one master, it's very easy. You know, I didn't have to worry about my friend's thought, my parent's thought, my, or anybody. All I had to be concerned about is what God wanted me to be. And so that really sets me free. And that's why today when I hear different people speak, I always go back to God's word. And that, because that's what we, I was taught, book, chapter, verse. I've gotten uh, accused at one time that I go to God's word too much. I don't know how that's possible when you're having a Bible study. But uh, some people, you know, want the, that touchy-feely type of feel. Uh, but there are different, definite signs that you are growing and becoming what God wants. But, you know, an atheist can gain the knowledge of the scripture, but that don't make him right with God. That's a change that we must make inside. Non-religious people, you probably know a lot of uh, good people that have good morals and are very disciplined in their daily living, but they're not obedient to the gospel. But that don't make them right with God either. Knowing what God really wants from the, his followers has always been a struggle. I know a lot of times we think that some of the stuff we run to is the first time in mankind history that it has struck man, you know, happened. I'm the first person this has ever happened to. I'm the first person who ever struggled with this. But no, uh, mankind, God's people have always, uh, you know, had that problem. In Micah 6, 6 through 8, it says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? There are three ideas that Michael brings before us. It's to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. These emphasize the importance of the inner 
being in harmony with God's character. It's not merely acting better, it's becoming better. And it's the change in inside. Justice, mercy, and humility are all qualities of the heart, not outward rules to be followed. You know, the Jews followed all the external rules. They had that down pat. But it's more, it's actually changing who you are. You know, uh, like I said, when I became a Christian with the profanity, I didn't want to hear it anymore. It became repulsive because God had changed my heart and who I was. I was not the same person. But a lot of times we are tempted to stay the way we are because that's comfortable. But today, as followers of Jesus Christ, we must all ask the question, what does God requires of me? Christian growth is a struggle between what you are and what you need to be. Uh, there's no growth when the struggle ceases. I always tell people, you know, if, uh, if you don't struggle, if the, say for instance, if I, with my profanity, if I don't struggle with that anymore, and you become comfortable just cursing, or comfortable with lying, then you're really in trouble. As long as there's uh, that struggle going in, you know, the little devil here and the angel here, there's a struggle going in. But when you sacrifice, a lot of time when you give in where your conscience don't bother you anymore, that's when you are in, in trouble. You know, uh, and, and that thing you have to be careful because, like you said, in 1 John it says that everybody sins. Nobody is perfect. And he said, if you say you are without sin, you're a liar. But it's the difference between sinning as a lifestyle and, and struggling with sin. And because a lot of times people say, you Christian think you're perfect. No, we're not perfect. You know, we're, we're struggling. But it's a difference between, like I said, struggling and, and just giving in uh, and just going with it. Sometimes, though, we're strong with the wrong area. We should be not struggle with our past because God has forgiven those sins. A Christian who struggles with being forgiven with, will, with, with peace and security, he needs to share the gospel. You know, if he, he's not sure about his own salvation, how is he going to share that with other people? What are you going to tell people? Come to church and come worry with us. You know, uh, uh, it's, it, it gives them no reason to want to come. This does not mean that the Christian life is without effort. No one understood this better than Paul and made his, him appreciate God's grace more. In Philippians 3, 12 through 14, it says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The phrase, one thing I do, is the key. Paul knew that being single-minded requires training. And in the 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, he always used athletics. To, for, to uh, make that comparison with. He said, do you know that a race, in a race, all the runners run, but only one get the prize. Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games go into strict training, but they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating air, the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself would not have been disqualified from the prize. You know, if you jog a run, you know that the struggle in the daily training. Uh, I have run four marathons in the past, but not, and not in the last six years, because I got this boat anchor that I've, I've gained in the last uh, six years, 20 pounds. But every day, I, we had to run. And, and the guy said, how in the world can you run? You know, 20, 30, we used to run about 25, 
miles a week. They told me I needed to run 50, and that's probably why my time wasn't so good. But I did come finish. But you know, it took a lot of discipline. You know, uh, the young guys who play football, they know how them two-a-day practice are. You know, it takes a lot of discipline to, to go on. And that's the same with, with the Christian life. Uh, you don't become a stronger a runner easily. You know, it takes a lot of training. I guess if uh, getting in shape was easy, we would all be in shape. Nobody would be joining 24-hour fitness. We could stay home and eat some brownies and, and uh, still be in shape. You know, uh, I prefer the brownie. Sticking to the program, though, is what eventually pays off. And you become strong and healthy uh, and feeling better for it. Paul was in the fight, and so are we. There are forces that are trying to keep us from winning. God used our co-workers and family to keep us from doing what God wants to, to be. He used the TV, the internet, music, and just everything to, to, to try to distract us. But, you know, that's why Paul said, there's one thing I do. And that's why it's important for us to be in God's Word. Because there's no easy way to grow. You know, I remember the, uh, uh, you see all the football players and track guys that have taken steroids to, to be a little faster. But you know something is wrong when a guy is very slow this year and next year he's beating everybody that there's something wrong with that. And uh, I remember in the Olympics that guy, uh, Sprinter Johnson, beat Carl Lewis. You know, it's like he was shot out of a cannon. It's like something had to be wrong with that. You just don't, uh, but, but you know, you cheat, it's, it's bad on your organs. And uh, eventually, you know, you, uh, like Lyle Azedo was one of the football players caught cancer and died. You know, the strength came with a price. And it's kind of like the story of the, uh, the little caterpillar the little girl saw on a branch. Uh, and uh, she said it was in this little cocoon that they formed before they become a butterfly. So she cut the, the cocoon open and let them out and say, there, fly, fly, little butterfly. But he soon up there withered and died. Because it's through that struggle that his wings become strong. And so he is able to fly. And the same thing with Christian growth. There is no easy way to, to, to be in God's word. Um, it is difficult for me to welcome struggle in, our, in my life. And I'm sure everybody. You know, when I have a flat tire, I'm not saying, hooray, I got a flat tire. You know, it, it, I'm a growth from this. Or, you know, uh, but it's something that through it all, you know, we will be get stronger uh, by it. Uh, Christian growth is the process of becoming better and not just acting better. And I think that's what people need to realize, that, you know, you are not your old you. You know, before, like I said, before I became a Christian, I didn't have the power to change. It's only through God's power, through his spirit that lives in me that I can change. You know, it's, uh, you can't say, and I'm sure you've heard of people, that's just the way I am. That just, uh, in our society, that's what people say all the time. I know I was uh, working with this one girl who claimed to be a Christian, and uh, she was living with her boyfriend. So I, you know, in love while we were along, uh, asked her about that. And she said, don't judge, don't judge. And see, I was going to do a lesson on judging, but uh, I was telling uh, Quentin earlier, I prepared three lessons for this. And on this, only this afternoon, this morning I was going to do it on judging, and this afternoon I decided to do it on, on, on gro Christian growth. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, in our society, people don't like to hear about holiness anymore, about God's words. In other words, a lot of times it's easy to put on a mask and come to church, but, you know, to, uh, we need to be growing. One group that Jesus had constant conflict with the Pharisees, they were not bad people, and they did not know what God, but they did not know what God really wanted. They got off track and started to focus on side issues and, and majored on the minors. And Joe, Jesus told them how to change. He said, in uh, Matthew 23, 26, he said, Blind Pharisees first cleaned the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside would always 
will, will also be, be clean. In other words, it's easy for us to just go through the motion. You know, I can, uh, you know, I, I told, and when I was in Katy, uh, doing a devotional one Wednesday night, I told people, you know, it seemed like when I look around, I'm the only people, only person to have problems. Because everybody else seemed to be have their life in so order. You know, but, you know, we all have problems, and we need to take our mask off and share it with each other. You know, because we are a family, and, it, and it's through... Uh, uh, sharing our burden with others that we, we can grow. Uh, and there are, three, there are three areas that I want to look at tonight is that relate to Christian conduct and that, that causes problems. And one is imposing a standard of conduct without laying a foundation for it. People want to be told what to do. You know, that's why I think it's, you know, when I grew up, up as a, uh, in, in the Catholic Church, I wanted to know, and I think a lot of people just want to, what is the minimum daily requirement? for me to be right with God. A lot of people want to straddle the fence. You know, if, if the, the Rio Grande, if the border between us and, and Mexico, we want to be right near the border. We don't want to go north, young man. We want to stay close to the border we, we can between righteousness and, and what the world will allow. We don't want to become too holy. Uh, and people like to be told what to do. Just tell me the 10 things I need to do. You know, uh, I know uh, I grew up and I went to confessions on Saturday. And then I was good for another week. I can live like the devil for the rest. I know not everybody did that, but me and my buddies did. You know, that's, uh, uh, people, and uh, so we, we shouldn't be uh, trying to get what the minimum, you know, what, what the, the maximum. And that is trying to be, imitate Jesus, become like he is. And it is tempting to shortcut growth by setting up a list of do's and don'ts, because growth is usually measured by external performance. But Paul's approach to encouraging his brothers and sisters to grow was to lay a doctrinal foundation before giving practical succession. In Romans, he devoted 11 chapters. And that's what I love about Paul and his teaching. You know, I, I'm a, kind of a Mr. Spock type of guy by nature. I want the facts, ma'am, and then I, you know, to make the, the conclusion. And um, so he gives 11 chapters. He goes to... To, to the theme of righteousness by faith and what its implication before practical application beginning with beginning with the word therefore in chapter 7. You know, every time with Paul, when he hit therefore, he knows he, that's a transition he's going to. Based on what I said before is why you should be acting the way you are. And that's what I mean by laying the foundation. He tell you why you should be holy. You know, because holiness is not a thing that in our society, even in the church that is it seemed to be as much as before. One thing I uh, said, growing up as a Catholic, I knew a sense of holiness, even though I, it was based on a lot of false, you know, not know what the Bible. When I went to that building, it seemed, even though it was like I said, it's not based on what scripture said, I felt the sense that I was in a holy place. You know, and, but you know, the thing is, holy to God, it says, you know, the essence of who he is is holy. And uh, I heard one time it says, holiness to God is like, it can't be separated, his holiness. He can't become sinful. He can't do wrong. It's like he said, holiness is like wet as the water. I forgot the, the Greek word to, to, to say it there, but holiness to God is like wet as the water. You can't separate the two. He, you know, he, he's, 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 he's very holy. Um, so uh, in, in verse 12 of uh, Romans 1, I mean, in, in Romans, Chapter 12, it says, uh, Therefore I urge you, brothers, 
and sister, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true, true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his pleasing, perfect, and perfect will. And uh, one thing I, I loved about that chapter is the, the word for uh, transform is the word we get for metamorphosis. And I'm sure that everybody, uh, uh, the, the, the new Hulk, the new movie, The Hulk, is when he is transformed. He's no longer Dr. Banner anymore. He becomes the Hulk. It's something else. And that's the same thing as us. We're no longer who we were. You know, we become God's child. And that's how the, and we do that by the renewing of our mind. It's like uh, you take an algebra course, you're not going to learn algebra by just putting it under your pillow. It's going to be by us getting in there, and that's how we're going to learn and become uh, to learn algebra. And the second problem is imposing a standard of conduct to the destruction of a relationship with God. You know, uh, rules without, I mean, rules without a relationship don't work. You got to have a relationship with God, and God wants a relationship with us. It is easy to make the means more important in the end. Our assemblies, prayer, devotion, and Bible studies are more than expected activities. There are means by which to develop our closeness with God and with each other. If the things we do don't create a closeness with God, it could be we are emphasizing conduct or activity while forgetting the purpose of our conduct. The Pharisees had the expected conduct well defined, but it became a hindrance rather than a help in bringing them closer to God. And the third problem uh, that is, is uh, Christian conduct is making the behavior more important than the reason for the behavior. Paul taught that motivation behind good conduct is more important than the conduct itself. It's like when you ever tell your children, your kid, uh, go tell your sister you're sorry. And say, I'm sorry. But that the, what, what was motivation? Did, was he really sorry? You know, and, and because you know, it's more than just saying you're sorry, it's well, did you mean it? And, you know, and Paul says it very clearly in Romans, First uh, Corinthians, I mean, First Corinthians 13, 3, he said, If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flame, but have not love, I gain nothing. So it's, it's the, the motivation of why you do what you do. And a lot of times, uh, there's a lot of people, uh, Bill Gates and a lot of them, giving billions of dollars to the poor to help uh, with scholarship and everything. But that, does that make him right with God? No. You know, it, it's... Uh, and that's the same with us, we, our motivation. When parents tell their children only what to do without explaining why they should do it, they will obey only in the presence of their parents. If the motivation is not right, the conduct won't last. The question isn't, does a Christian work, but why does a Christian work? You know, in the church, they usually said one-third of the people does almost all the work. What, what happened to the other 66%? It's kind of like Jesus said, where are the other nine? And... Uh, uh, so, it, it, but I'm saying it's, uh, it's not a matter of why, but, I mean, uh, does he work, but he does work, it's the reason why does the Christian work. Um, changed behavior is not a total proof of a changed character. I'm sure we all knew people that we uh, thought were just upstanding Christians, and all of a sudden you find out something about them or what they did, uh, whether stealing from their job, the bank, or whatever, and then it just told you, you were just shocked that that was wrong. And that's it. Uh, I was telling about in church, you know, that we don't share with each other. I'm glad we're starting the small groups 
uh, up pretty soon. Uh, and because a lot of times we just don't know each other. Because we think we're the only problem who, person going through a marital problem. How many times have we have heard that somebody going through a divorce and said, I don't know what ha happened to Fred and Ethel. I just saw them holding hands walking to their car the other day and now they filed for a divorce next week. Because it's more behind the scene that goes on. We all struggle with different things and we need to be there for each other. But if I don't know, how can I help you? And I get the thing is a, a lot of people is afraid that people are going to think less of them. But I think we should be more concerned what does God think of us and, and not what other people think of us. Uh, it, says it could be, be like the little boy who obedience sat down but said he was standing up on the inside. That's not the type of behavior God wants from us. You know, he wants us to, to, uh, to obey, uh, obey him because you love him. The purpose of the disciple is to be transformed, not conformed to his world. Um, the purpose of, okay, uh, it said, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world in Romans, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If we put our focus on an activity as a sign of growth, a lot of time what happens is we get tired and quit. I've known a lot of people in the church, a lot of times they were very active at one time. And they would just, whenever the door was open, they were in there and, and working hard. But then all of a sudden, they just stopped working at all. And basically, they get tired. And I heard the analogy one time of a guy who said, you took a loaf of French bread, cut it down the middle, middle and take a, peanut, a spoon of peanut butter, and you start spreading it along the side. And by the time at the end, there's no peanut butter left. And I think that's a lot of time we need to take time to regenerate, to, to, uh, to you know, have time off. And like the teachers, I know sometimes it's hard to find teachers, and the teachers know that, and you teach quarter after quarter after quarter. And uh, after a while, they get burned out and they quit. And, and that could be happen, uh, you know, as, as Christian, that uh, if you, only thing is, if we, if we focus on activity as a sign of growth, that a person might just, uh, just get tired and quit. If we focus on knowledge of the scripture as a sign of growth, we become puffed up with pride, thinking you know it more than everybody else. It said the Pharisee knew the scripture, but that didn't help them have the kind relationship with God they needed. True godly growth is not an activity or knowledge of the scripture. True growth must come from God acting on our hearts. The disciple undergoes a basic character of personality change with Jesus as a role model. We need to have a relationship with God. Um, let me see here. The kind of growth, growth that God wants changes who we are. We have a relationship as sons and daughters. If the disciples of Jesus understand who God is as revealed by Jesus, he knows who he is and the type of conduct that is in harmony with God's character. We must be controlled by convictions and not by the circumstances. One of the stories that I remember, is, especially is, in, is Potiphar. And why did, and Joseph, Joseph was, uh, Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce Joseph. And the thing that gets me was what Joseph said, how can I do this great sin against my God? And that's the type of relationship. It wouldn't depend on the circumstance. It would depend on the relationship with his God. It's kind of like, I, I kind of think it like stealing from your parent after all they did for you. And somebody tells you, go steal your dad's car. It's like, how can I steal my dad's car? Or from, you know what I'm saying? Because of the relationship that you have with your parents. It's the relationship that God went on. And, and that's what, what uh, Joseph had. His concern was not what could happen to him. He was concerned about how can I, he, he sin against God. Satan doesn't have a chance 
with Christians in the group. It is how we respond when we're all along. I always tell the teenagers uh, when I teach them, uh, we're gonna, you know what type of Christian you are. It's when your parents are not around anymore. The first Sunday that you wake up and it's Sunday morning, and she, the parents are not there to wake you up and make you go to church. Will you get up and go? That's going to be the first big test that's going to say what type of, uh, what your uh, devotion to God really is. And uh, one, uh, that's why it's important that you have fellowship when the first thing to establish, I guess, wherever you are, is to have somebody to hold you accountable. You know, to find, have other Christians you can uh, share your burdens with and to share your growth with. But, uh, you know, that, that is another lesson. And I, I want to just close with a, a song, a lyrics of a song. You know, it had a, a gospel group called Sounds of Glory. Uh, I'm sure a lot of y'all have heard them, but they're out of Madison, uh, uh, Texas. And uh, the guy, they stayed at our house one night. We had a gospel meeting in San Antonio. And uh, he had a, a song that called Prodigal Son. And this is what it said, it's actually on the, on the song. It said, recently we heard about a young man in San Antonio who was dying with AIDS. After making his life right with God, he began searching desperately for a church home with brothers and sisters who could accept him and love him. He found this in a congregation there in San Antonio. Shortly before his death, he was asked by his preacher if he had any message for others who might have turned their lives away from God. The answer he gave that day inspired us to write this song. He said, you tell them, don't be afraid to come home. So this evening, whatever is going on in your, your life, if you, there's any struggle we can help you with, please come as we stand and sing.